the, the nested equity uh, portion of U.S. homeowners balance sheet has never looked better. Um, and you people have to realize 40% of all homes in America don't have a mortgage. So you're talking about, you know, and we actually uh, debt expansion adjusting to inflation is actually still negative from the housing bubble peak. So it, it wasn't like we had a a, a massive credit boom from, let's say, uh, uh, I, I use these mortgage banking uh, purchase application charts to kind of show that the market that we had from 2002 to 2005 is not here. So we have a lot of American homeowners who have a lot of nested equity, but the key term is fixed low debt costs versus rising wages. Uh, mortgage payment as a percentage of disposable incomes, all time lows. Uh, household debt payments, just because of your mortgage uh, debt is your biggest thing uh, on your balance sheet versus the disposable income all-time low. So the consumer is in really good shape. We see it in FICO scores, cash flows, and every single data line. Uh, the American homeowner has never looked better on paper. You're listening to Batting 1000 with Dale Vermillion, where heavy hitters from mortgage, real estate, and business share their secrets for lasting success. With your host, award-winning sales strategist and industry icon, Dale Vermillion. Hello, Batting 1000 audience, Dale Vermillion back with you and so glad to be with you. And I am honored today to have a very distinguished guest. Uh, I've got Logan Motoshanmi with me, who you probably know him as the housing data analyst, financial writer, and the blogger covering the U.S. economy uh, in the housing market. He has been frequently quoted in Bankrate, frequently quoted in uh, Bloomberg Financial. He's the lead analyst for Housing Wire. So if you saw the Clayton Collins interview that we did a couple months back, um, him and Clayton worked together um, very closely. He's been a speaker all over the country and uh, is a recurring guest on Bloomberg Financial. So you may have seen him on uh, TV shows out there. Uh, and he is known in social media as the chart guy. By everybody else, he's known as the housing guru. And that's, that's where I'm going with today, Logan. Logan, welcome. I'm so honored to have you today. It is great to be here. Thank you. Well, we got a lot to talk about, but before we get into the marketplace, which I know everybody's chomping at the bit to know where rates are going, where the housing market's going, where inventory's going, all of that stuff, I want to start with your background, and I want you to help our audience know a little bit more about you. I love this detail that your family started in the mortgage business in the 1950s, that your dad uh, started in mortgage in 1979, just a few years before I did. I started in 83, so we're pretty close, um, which I, 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 does that mean I could be your dad? I'm not sure about that. Yeah, it's pretty much means it could be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's fun to know. And you actually spent 20 years in the business yourself, both as a processor and loan originator, which is really going to be really uh, make this an interesting conversation. T tell the audience a little bit more about you and your background and just some of the things that you've gleaned over your years and that you think are critical for a loan originator or a manager today to know um, about your background. Well, I started to uh, get into finance in 1996 by trading stocks. In our family, we've had our own mortgage company here uh, in Southern California since 1987. And also in 1996, I started working uh, in the mortgage industry. I eventually got my LO license in 2003 and been a loan officer up until uh, June of 2020 when I retired. Um, all, by 2010, you know, one thing led to another. I, I started writing about uh, uh, finance, uh, real estate, created my own blog, and now it's turned to this uh, 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 11 years later. 
Uh, so I'm pretty much just a data geek nerd. That's what people know me <laughs> as. And I literally just do charts 24-7. And uh, having a financial lending background, actually, I thought was an advantage for me uh, into the macroeconomic work, just because uh, the American economy is so based on credit. And, you know, after the housing bubble crash, you know, there was a, when you have internally knows of how the mortgage industry works and how debt structure works, uh, uh, it really helped me kind of explain how, you know, the loan profiles in America post-2010 yep. have looked better than ever. Uh, uh, it's a big framework of my uh, discussion and talking points over the years. So it is it has actually benefited me on the macroeconomic side, having a financial lending background. And yes, our, our family in general has been in banking since the late 1950s. So this is kind of all we do. That's really cool. You know, I, I've spoken at many conferences with guys like Doug Duncan and Mike Friend and Tony, so I know those guys. And it's interesting how unique your background is, having been in the mortgage originations and done that and familiar with it your whole life, which really makes a different perspective. So let me start with this question. Um, how did you get to Housing Wire? How, how did you move out of that into Housing Wire and get where you're at today? Well, in 2019, you know, I, you know, with my financial blog and the work I've done there, I've uh, cumul accumulated a, a nice big following just on macroeconomic discussions and and specifically for housing. And Clayton uh, asked me, you know, do you want to write for housing? And at first I wasn't going to do it because I, yeah. I wasn't sure how much I wanted to uh, continue this. But I knew so many loan officers around the country and they were like, yeah, you should do Housing Wire. We'd love your take on it. So really it was because of Kind of the relationships I've had with LOs that I thought, you know what, this will be good in the sense that this audience will be bigger and I could write maybe in a way that they could understand and it'll be beneficial uh, for them. Because I'm really a macroeconomic cycle person first, housing the secondary work, but it all kind of moves together with the bond market and mortgage rates and everything. So I thought it'll be useful. Then COVID happened, you know, so uh, and for Housing Wire, you know, I think what, what a lot of people know me for is writing a what I call the America's Back Recovery Model on Housing Wire on April 7th. And my job is to basically show people how progressions of economic cycle works. And I really believe that we were going to recover in 2020. So I'm just a nerd that is trying to show you the pathway on where I think the economy is going using data sets and try to get people to ignore the noise out there because there's a lot of noise. Uh, in in the financial discussions through social media sites. So, uh, and two things I've always said, uh, e economics, if it's done right, should be very boring. And you always want to be the detective, not the troll. Yep. So let's let's begin. And by the way, uh, you, I, I wouldn't be calling yourself a nerd. You're very articulate. I've seen you many, many times. So uh, I think we can dispel that right away and <laughs> just get to the fact. Well, nerds can be articulate, you know. So we, we, I, I try, to, try to be as... Uh, as talkative as I can. Yeah, I'm going to use the term genius in that. How about if that we use that one? That, that, that'll right, work a little enough. bit better. <laughs> so let, let's let's go right to the white elephant um, in the room that everybody is concerned about today, and that's where interest rates are going. You know, interesting to know that you have a little different perspective. Now, let me just share a couple of things, and I want to hear you kind of speak to those. The NBA, as you know, forecasted this year about a 6% increase in the purchase market in 2022 over 2021 with a record year of 1.74 trillion as of the last forecast that they did in production. They're also projecting a 63% approximate decrease in refinances. And a lot of that 
uh, stems off of the rate increases that we're seeing with a projection from the NBA that it's going to be around 4% by the end of the year. Projection from Fannie and Freddie about 3.4%. I would love to hear your perspective on where you think this is at. And I know a lot of that's driven by inflationary uh, concerns versus, uh, you know, the Fed or Treasury. But I know you very much follow Treasury. And I want to hear just your perspective and, and kind of your thinking behind that. So I'm a bond market guy. I'm a 10-year yield guy. I'm not a mortgage-backed security person or anything in, in that regards. I yeah. actually don't believe in targeting mortgage rate levels. I believe just following the 10-year uh, uh, year channels. So uh, just to give you a good example, I started incorporating this work in 2015 and in the previous expansion, all my prediction articles said the 10-year yield is going to be in a range between 1.6 to 3%. So yeah. when the recession happens, it'll go lower. Um, if you look at the long-term downtrend since 1981, uh, it's still intact. If you look at the long-term downtrend in rates and bond yields, really, since you know 900 years ago, it's been a downtrend, right? So the trend is your friend. So re regarding with COVID, when when that happened, I thought you know the 10-year yield could get negative to 62 basis points. So that's where we're heading there. The recovery was going to happen in 2020. So the ranges that I use is 0.62% on a 10-year yield to 1.94%. So basically, 2.375 to 2.5% is the low end. The upper end is about 3.375 to 3.625. The 1.94% level on the 10-year yield has been my main talking point since 2019. Uh, even in my 2020 forecast, I talked about, listen, until we break on over 1.94% in the 10-year yield, don't talk about 4% mortgage rates or anything in that regard. Um, I know everybody talks about inflation and growth. I don't believe that's the case. And I'm going to explain why. If okay. you look at economic data currently, we've had the hottest economic growth in decades. We've had the hottest inflationary data in decades. If we were just basing off of that, mortgage rates would be 65 to 7.5% today, right now. The 10-year yield would be over 5%, actually, over 5 and a quarter. That's not happening. We are still under 2% on the 10-year yield yep. uh, <clears throat> because it respects the downtrend in the bond yield. So I basically work off of that. What's different this year than, I'd say, last year, I can make a premise on why the how mortgage rates get over 4%. It has nothing to actually do with inflation or growth. European bond yields and Japan 10-year yields, those things need to rise, right? Because our 10-year yield can't really get too much higher than theirs. And that's currently what's happening. It's not enough yet to get the 10-year yield over 1.94%, but that was the whole premise. Because okay. if we're using inflation and, and growth, the 10-year yield currently is at levels to where in the previous expansion, people will be talking about a recession because it's under 2%. So it's not that. To me, it's more technical bond work than anything else. So you can get above 4% mortgage rates, but it needs Germany and the 10-year yield in Japan all to rise, which they have, but it's just not enough yet. And that's why I, I create ranges in the 10-year yield to go with mortgage rates. And now the Federal Reserve is going to try to cool the economy with rate hikes. The rate of growth of the economy peaked last year. Uh, we're not a super fast growing economy anyway. Some of these things will moderate in terms of economic data and the rate of growth. So the question is, does that bring bond yields, you know, uh, let's say back to 120 and we're back to 3% or 2.75%. That to me is, is, is how I'm looking at this currently, but we do have a premise to get above 4% uh, mortgage rates, but it needs the 10 year yield in Germany and Japan to rise up and all global yields to rise together to get there. 
So, so here's the here's the key question: What are you projecting, or what do you believe rates are going to get to? Because I, I know in in the conversation you had with my son Jake, kind of pre-interview on this, you talked about the possibility of they could be under three percent by the end of the year. Tell me where you're at. Yeah. So, sticking with the range, if growth slows down, let's say you get more of a stock market correction, the data starts to moderate, uh, bond yields could come down off of it. Uh, the question for me is that. Do we go under 1% on the 10-year yield again? Uh, do, uh, do, do rates get back to 25 to 2.75%? Within that channel, uh, which is still intact, actually, even today, even today, the 10-year yield is at 1.84%. Um, that should stick. But the question is, do we have a little bit of rates above 4% and then come back down? Because if you just follow the downtrend, we still have some upside on the 10-year yield to about 2.70% for that long-term downtrend since 1981. So I think rates just move in a range, and, and that's really been a lot of my work over the years. I think the one time in the previous expansion where I was really tested was in 2018. 10-year uh, yield was at 3 3.25%. Everybody had 5 even so some people talk about 6% mortgage rates. I was very adamant back then, even at an economics conference, saying, no, the 10-year yield is going to go down in 2019. Mortgage rates are going to go back down. It just follows a long-term downtrend. So that's how I operate. I don't, I don't really operate on a lot of different things that maybe other economists do. So I just basically go where I think the 10-year yield is going. And I think one misconception that has happened in the last 10 years uh, is that people were told that once the Fed stops its uh, QE process, bond yields would skyrocket and rates have uh, have gone up higher. Uh, this has actually never occurred uh, in the previous expansion. When QE1 ended, bond yields went down, so did rates. When QE2 ended, bond yields went down, so did rates. When the taper was uh, closing off in 2014, bond yields went down and, and so did rates. When QE3 ended, that was supposed to be the end of the world, bond yields went down and so did rates. So, to me, it's inflation expectations, where the where the ranges are of the bond market, that to me is more important. And I think showing my historical work on this, it has been more correct than maybe other assumptions on where rates should be. So we'll see if the economy slows down fast enough to drive yields uh, much lower. But we stick in that range. But one thing, I mean, for me, it seems like I'm rooting for higher rates just because uh, the, 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 there, there are issues with the housing market that, you know, that are, we'll, we'll discuss it later. The only thing that could cool housing down is a 10 year yield above 1.94%. I even wrote this in the summer of 2020. I said, listen, uh, everyone should worry about home prices accelerating, not crashing so much that for housing wire, I coined the phrase forbearance crash bros. Uh, in, in the summer of 2020, just because the grifting of housing is done by very untalented American citizens who basically spent their adult life telling people when housing is going to crash. So coined the ter term forbearance crash bros is a bunch of people on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. It was going to be a disaster for them. And now we can see what's happening. Inventory in 2022 are at fresh all-time lows. The only way you could create more days on market is rates above uh, 4%. We, this happened in the previous expansion two times, but again, it's really hard to get the 10-year yield above 1.94% since uh, 2019. Got it. Well, and, and uh, you know, as, as I remind my audience all the time and everybody that I've trained over the years, you know, at the end of the day, your dad went through the same market I did when rates were 21, then down to 17, then down to 15, down to 12, and People bought homes like crazy. It was one of the biggest booms we ever saw in U.S. history. So yeah, it's 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 interesting that perspective because when 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 people say demand's going to crash, when we had five no. percent mortgage rates in 2018, 
we had near 6 million total home sales. So um, I, I think people, I think uh, the perspective, do higher rates crash? Well, you know, if rates went to eight or nine or 10%, something, but look at look at the US housing market post 1996. Post 1996, because the civilian labor force is up and mortgage rates went below 8%. It's really rare in America to have under 4 million home sales uh, in any month. It authentically really only happened uh, toward the uh, end of 2008. And there was a lot of credit uh, tightening in, in that process into a weaker demographic match. So millions and millions and millions of people buy homes each year. Uh, that's perfectly normal. Where when rates were at uh, 5% or rates are at 2.5%, the marginal home buyer does get hit when rates rise. But uh, it, it's really hard to have a kind of a demand crash when you have the best housing demographics ever recorded in history. And that's the unique period of my work for the last decade is talking about years 2020 to 2024 being a once in a lifetime event. And uh, I was really adamant on pushing that, especially early in COVID, that no, housing isn't going to crash again. Uh, people buy homes every year. It's it's a very normal thing. Well, and you know, for anybody to even think there's a possible demand crash is pretty interesting to me when you consider that last year CoreLogic told us that property values went up 18% in the U.S. on a national average. Rents last year also went up 18% last year. So why would you ever want to rent if you can get into home ownership, even at a 4%, 4.25%, 4.5% rate? It doesn't really matter. And what I've seen in my almost 40-year career is as rates rise like they do now, you see actually a flurry of activity into the purchase side of the market because it's kind of like when the stock market shifts. You know, People kind of chase the market is what they do. They want to get in before the rates get too high. They want to make sure they take advantage of the marketplace. And on the refi side, you know, that's going to be the impact on the rate and term. But if you're working on cash out debt elimination, which with the liquidity needs that consumers have today in this marketplace with inflation, there's plenty of opportunities to do refis too. We'll, we'll see a, obviously a decline, but I don't think to the levels that's being predicted. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, as rates have moved up, you actually have a, you've created higher rate and term supply for future when, when rates drop. So it, it is something I talked about in 2017 and 2018, as rates had gone up, moved up toward 5%, I said, okay, so we've actually created a nice little mini wave of, of rate into refinance. <laughs> and so one of the things I talked about in 2018, I said, hey, listen, I know the Wall Street Journal had 50 economists. Everybody said rates are going to well above 5%. Rates are going to go down next year. So get your rate into refinance people ready because the whole purchase money had been at higher rates. Even right now, even let's say three and a half to 3.75, if you just get a downward shift in the 10-year yield, you've got another uh, rate and term refinance group right there just from the re recent purchases. So it ebbs and flows. It just, it's historically, it just falls a downtrend. So rates can move up and down within a cycle. And then when the next recession happens, they go down lower again. The question is, does the 10-year yield ever go negative here in the U.S.? Uh, like it does in Germany and Japan. In time, it should be that case. But uh, the trend is your friend. That's what I always say. So uh, uh, don't that. worry about inflation or rates, you know, uh, in the late 70s or 1980s. That's uh, that's a whole different kind of uh, a marketplace in terms of the 10-year yield getting back up there. Not going to happen. So a lot of that crazy fear that's out there really should be optimism. As I've been uh, telling everybody, this is a very opportunistic market if you look at it from the right vantage point. And I love the fact that, you know, we're talking about we're building future markets uh, for our consumers and for ourselves, and we should celebrate that. And there's still plenty of business. I mean, even on the refi side, for those people who are in very low rates, say, as, I, as I've shared a million times when I've trained, you know, you look at consumer debt 
and you look at the equity that has been created over the last decade in the United States and the amount of equity that people have today, and if you just take $10,000 in consumer debt, which averages about a $250 monthly payment, and you embed that into a 25-year, not a 30-year, 25-year term, 3.5% rate mortgage, it's only a $50 payment that you're dealing with. So you're literally creating a $200 savings, with a, which is if applied back, does two things. It cuts your term by over 10 years on your mortgage, and it really eliminates that consumer debt overnight. So there's so much opportunity in the market, whether rates go up or not, if you're viewing the market from the right vantage point. I think that's the key to everything. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, the the nested equity uh, portion of U.S. homeowners' balance sheet has never looked better, yeah. um, and you people have to realize forty percent of all homes in America don't have a mortgage, so you're talking about you know, and we actually uh, debt expansion adjusting to inflation is actually still negative from the housing bubble peak. So it, wow. it wasn't like we had a a, a massive credit boom from let's say uh, uh, I, I use these mortgage banking uh, purchase application charts to kind of show that the market that we had from 2002 to 2005 is not here. So we have a lot of American homeowners who have a lot of nested equity, but the key term is fixed low debt costs versus rising wages. Uh, mortgage payment as a percentage of disposable incomes, all time lows. Uh, household debt payments, just because of your mortgage uh, debt is your biggest thing uh, on your balance sheet, yep. versus disposable income, all time low. So the consumer is in really good shape. We see it in FICO scores, cash flows, and every single data line. Uh, the American homeowner has never looked better on paper. Hey there, audio listener. Producer Jake here. Thanks so much for listening to the public version of this episode featuring Housing Wire's lead analyst, Logan Motoshami. When it comes to the 2022 market, look, there's a lot to discuss, and Dale and Logan get into just about all of it in the full members-only version of this episode. So here's what I need you to do. If you want to listen to the full episode, visit dalevermillion.com forward slash diamond club to join a members-only club that has exclusive access to the full-length conversations Dale hosts with incredible guests. As a member, you'll not only get your own personalized feed to listen to Batting 1000 in your favorite podcasting app, but access to the full video interview, plus gain access to transcripts, blog posts, and more. Become a Diamond Club member today by visiting Dale Vermillion. That's D-A-L-E-V-E-R-M-I-L-L-I-O-N.com forward slash Diamond Club. That's D-I-A-M-O-N-D-C-L-U-B. Thanks for listening. Batting 1000 is a production of Mortgage Champions, a company that's been transforming the people who transform companies since 1995. Have a suggested topic or guest? Contact my team on Twitter. That's at Dale Vermillion. Or tweet us using the hashtag batting1000. That's hashtag batting1000.